Um, last week, we began a series that we were calling Deconstructing Faith and, and really talking about, like, how do we, how do we handle the, the different doubts and the questions and the struggles that we all wrestle with at times? Like, how, what do we do about those things? When, when things that we've taught, things that we've always believed, things, things that we read in Scripture just doesn't seem to, like, line up with what our lived experience is here on, on this earth. Like, and, and, and how do we handle? How do we handle those questions that don't seem to have any good answers for them either? Like, like people are, have been seeking and struggling to want to know more about Jesus, want to, want to understand, making their faith a reality. And, and if that's you, I want you to know that you have a place here, that you are welcome here, that there's enough space here for, for those of you that, that are wrestling and struggling with and asking some of those questions. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about a guy who was a part of the very first Easter story that he ended up getting, got, he ended up getting stuck with a very unfortunate nickname. And, and I don't know about any of you, but as you were growing up, if any of you had a nickname at all, um, like I, I had a really good friend in grade school, his name was Matt. But for some reason, I, and to be honest, I never even understood why, his, his family always called him Goo. And, and so, so everybody just started calling him Goo to the point like there were people, they didn't, they didn't know his name was actually Matt. He was just always referred to as, as Goo. And like my, my hometown of, of Milwaukee, which just by the way, the Brewers are in first place in case anybody was, was wanting to know the Cubs are, I think, for real, it's Easter Sunday, y'all. Like, you, you gotta, I, I got to rub it in while I can because I don't think it'll last, but... But Milwaukee's nickname is the Brew City. When I was, when I was in high school, um, our, our local high school, our, our nearest rival was a high school called Shorewood, which we affectionately called Shoreweed because of like all the, the stoners they had at their school and whatever. But, but there's also like famous nicknames too. There's Alexander the Great, there's Billy the Kid, and then of course you have like the great like mafia nicknames as well. You, you have Al Scarface Capone, Sammy the Bull Gravano, you have Charles Lucky Luciano, and, and, and this isn't like just a recent thing either. Like there, there are biblical characters that have gotten these nicknames as well. And so we're going to take a look at the very first Easter story and, and, how, and how it really kind of impacted and affected one person in particular. Now, the, the writers of, of the Bible, the scriptures, make some pretty amazing claims about Jesus. They, you know, that, that Jesus, he, he, he lived a sinless life, he died, he was buried in a tomb, and then three days later, he emerged from that tomb alive. Claims that, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to live that, that perfect sinless life, to shed innocent blood upon a cruel cross, and rose from the dead. Like the words written on the screen right now, he is risen. Those three English words are translated from one single Greek word that is hagero. And, and hagero literally means to, to wake up, to rise from a, a posture of sleep or to, to reanimate in a way. And no doubt, like this, this whole idea that he is risen, is, it's a bold claim. It's a bold claim that God's sinless son died and hagero, that he has risen. He is alive now. But, but what does that word mean for us now today? Two millennia removed from, from when it happened. What, do, what does that mean, he is risen? Hagera, what does that mean for us now? 
that the tomb really is empty. Well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us what it means if he has not risen. If, if Jesus had not actually come back to life, if he was not Hagarod, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is, your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In other words, like if, if Jesus was not risen, what we're doing right now doesn't really mean anything. It's all just kind of a joke. It, it may make us feel good. It may make us slightly better people than we were before. But this whole church thing, if Jesus was not risen, it's all just a waste of time. We're just kind of playing a game right now. But on the other hand, Peter tells us what is true if he really is Hagarod, if he really is risen. What does that mean? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like if he is indeed risen, Peter says we have two things. Number one, we've been given a new birth. Like not only were we born physically, but we've also been reborn spiritually. That, we, that, that our, our sins can be forgiven. In, in some ways, it's like having a, a spiritual mulligan, a do-over in a way, that, that we are forgiven, and Scripture says that we are a new creation. But not only that, Peter also says that we have hope, a living hope, because Jesus was raised from the dead. And so to get back to, to the Easter story that we're going to talk about this morning, I want to pick up in John chapter 20. And, and where, where this takes place is actually on the evening that Jesus emerged from the tomb. That if you recall, the, the women, they, they ran to the tomb on, on, on uh, Sunday morning because they were going to anoint Jesus' body for proper burial. And when they got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. There were two angels there, and they said, why, why, are, you, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And, and they, they were shocked. That, like these, these women were the first ones to, to hear the, the incredible news that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And they, they're the first evangelists that they go out and they share this good news with Jesus' disciples. And then we're going to pick up in John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, so, so that evening after, after the women got and shared this good news that Jesus was alive, that evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus invites those who had followed him, who had walked with him for three years to step out of a place of, of fear, to step out of a place of, of disbelief, and rather into a place of, of peace and of joy and of confidence. But there was only one problem in this moment. Because of, of the 11 disciples, there was only 10 of them that were there when Jesus appeared that evening. That one of them did not get a chance to see the risen Savior in this moment. And, and he gets a nickname that, that has stuck with him for centuries, and that would be Doubting Thomas. But I'm going to defend Thomas this morning because I think he's actually gotten a, an unfair nickname, kind of a, an unfair rap, and, and I think you'll, you'll kind of see that 
as we explore Thomas in John's gospel. And so I want to rewind the clock just a little bit to, to the very first time that we get to, to hear about who Thomas is. Now, Thomas, he's listed in just kind of like a list of who the disciples were. But the very first time we actually get to encounter Thomas is in John chapter 11. And, and by this point, Jesus, he had had multiple run-ins with the different uh, political leaders, the different theological religious leaders at the time. And, and he, was, he was not welcome in and around Jerusalem. He, like, he, he knew that if he went there, he was likely to get arrested. He was likely to, to, uh, to get in, in a lot of hot water. And so for the most part, him and his disciples stayed on the other side of the Jordan River for quite a while while this kind of persecution was going on. But the trouble was that one of Jesus's close friends, a man named Lazarus, Lazarus, was deathly ill. And like any good friend, Jesus wanted to go visit Lazarus. But Jesus' disciples, they actually counsel him otherwise. They, they tell him, you know what, it, it would actually be really unwise, Jesus, for you to head into Jerusalem. And, and you might be putting your life in danger if you went to go visit Lazarus. So we, we should probably just hang out over here all the disciples except one of them. Because Thomas speaks up and says in John eleven sixteen, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, he had another nickname, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. And that's an amazing statement that Thomas makes right here. Like he, he was ready, I, I was about to sing like from Top Gun, he was about to head right into the danger zone, but I'm not going to sing. But, but, but he was... Thomas was ready to say, all right, Jesus, if you want to go, I'm there with you. I'll walk in there with you. If they, if they arrest you, I'm, I'm there. If they put you to death, I'm willing to go and die with you. Like, he's not this, this wimpy, fickle, kind of wuss he's been made out to be sometimes. For the sake of, of love and friendship, Thomas was willing to risk his own life to stand with Jesus in this moment. Like if he, was given a, if he was given a nickname based on his statement right here, I think it might be Brave Thomas, Thomas the Brave, something like that, because he showed devotion, he showed courage when others around him were lacking it. And if we fast forward a, a couple more chapters to John chapter 14, Jesus, it, it's at the Last Supper, and Jesus is sharing some difficult things with, with his disciples as, as they're sitting down and and, and really, he, he's kind of talking with them about how he was going to have to pass through death in order to defeat death. And, and he knows, Jesus knows he's going to emerge victorious, but he's teaching them about what does it mean to trust God? What, what does it mean to experience hope of eternal life that starts now and, and, and goes on forever? And, and it's, it's a little bit esoteric in a way, but, but none of his disciples want to admit ignorance about what Jesus is talking about in this, moment, in this moment. In some ways, it's kind of like if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody, maybe you've even been in church like this, and, and the pastor's talking, probably not me, but somebody else, and, and you don't, you're like, All right, I don't understand what you're talking about. But you kind of like nod your head along and, and just kind of like go with it anyways. Like we've probably all done that at one time or another. And, and that's kind of what hap what's happening right now in this moment. In John 14, verse 1, Jesus says, now, don't let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? 
And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will be with me. Excuse me, you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And, and suddenly we hear, we hear Thomas speak up. And he, because Thomas, he's the one that asks great questions. And in verse 5 he says, no, we don't know, Lord. Like, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Like, I, I, I love this so much. Like, when everybody else is just kind of like, yep, mm -hmm, sure, Jesus, yep, you're making a house for it, you're preparing, yep, we know the way. And Thomas is like, whoa, 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 hold on. No, we don't. Like, I, what are you even talking about? I, I, don't, I don't get it. I'm not following. This doesn't make sense to me at all. And, and I just, I love just the, the flat honesty of, of Thomas in this moment. Saying like, all right, I, I'm confused. This isn't making sense. I, I don't get it. To which Jesus doesn't respond with a rebuke, but he actually responds with, with a very powerful statement of, of identity, where in verse six he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one can come to the Father except through me. That, that Jesus was essentially God with, with skin on it, and Thomas is the only one of the disciples who is honest enough to put his doubts and his questions and his ignorance on, on full display and say, I don't get it. I, I don't know what you're talking about. This is confusing to me. I, I, I thought one thing and now you're talking, what? I'm preparing a place? What, what do you, I, I don't get it. And, and if I had to give Thomas a nickname in this moment, I, I would call him Honest Thomas. Like he's asking just some honest questions where others kind of hid under this veneer of, of spirituality, of, of pretending that they were understanding what Jesus was talking about, maybe for pride or maybe for appearance's sake, Thomas just comes right out. He just comes right out and says, Jesus, I got questions. I, I, I don't get it. And, and after these two encounters, I, I hope you can begin to see a little bit why I think the, the, the nickname Doubting Thomas is a little bit unfair. Because I think it, it paints a, a picture of who he is that's not at all complete whatsoever. Not, not brave Thomas, not honest Thomas. But for centuries, he's been known as Doubting Thomas. Now, now if, if we head back to, to our text that we began with in, in John chapter 20, going back to that evening where Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had been resurrected. And in, in verse 20, or excuse me, in verse 24, says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not there with the others when Jesus came. And so later on, Jesus is talking and all of his buddies are like, dude, you missed it, man. Like Jesus was here. Like they, they said, we've seen the Lord. But, but he replied, I'm not going to believe it. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and I put my fingers into them and I place my hand into the wound in his side. Now, if I'm being honest, I really don't fault Thomas here whatsoever. Like I, I, like, I actually have some sympathy for his desire to see a little bit more proof. Because, like, again, we're, we're talking about somebody that, that Thomas witnessed with his own eyes. He watched him be put on trial. He watched him get whipped and flogged. They, he watched him get stripped naked and, and hung up on a cross. He, he watched him die. 
He watched Jesus be placed into the tomb. He watched that stone being rolled in front of it. Like, I, I hope you're not going to think any less of me as your pastor, but, but if I watched somebody die like that, and then some friends of mine said, oh, hey, by the way, we saw him. He, he was back. He was talking with us. He was hanging out. Like, I would be a little bit skeptical too. So I have some sympathy for, for Thomas in this moment. But John goes on to record. He says, now, eight days later, so a week has passed now between when Jesus first appeared to his disciples and they're saying, dude, Thomas, you missed it, man. And now what's going to happen? And they were gathered together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he says again. And then he said to Thomas, he, 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 in this whole crowd of people, he looks right at Thomas, looks him right in the eye, and says, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put, put, your, put your hand into the wound in my side. But don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas responds just with, with such a beautiful statement. He says, my Lord, my, my God, like it is you. It really is you. And, and, and a week prior, like his friends, like they had their own encounter with, with Jesus. And now in this moment, like Thomas had been desiring that same thing. And in this incredible moment of, of mercy and compassion, Jesus meets Thomas right where he is. He meets Thomas right in the middle of his doubts. He, he meets Thomas right in the middle of the questions that he's asking. He meets Thomas right in, in the middle of, of where he, he may have been feeling skeptical about what his friends were telling them. And he invites Jesus not just to see, but he invites him to put his fingers into the nail holes, to put his hand into his side where he had been pierced. Jesus' invitation wasn't just, to, wasn't just to see, but he said, no, no, I want you to experience me. I want you to experience me. Come. Come. The, the 17th century painter Caravaggio imagined Thomas placing his finger right, right there as, as Peter looks on in his famous work, The Incredulity of St. Thomas. And it's a beautiful picture in this moment. And, and after, after he sees and after he touches and after he experiences Jesus like this, in this very powerful, very intimate moment, Thomas makes this, this bold exclamation, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Like He's acknowledging Jesus as Lord as, as the one who is the, the ruler and leader over his life, but he also professes him to be God. Like he, he, He's saying, Jesus, you're exactly who you said you were. I had questions, and I had doubts, but you're exactly who you said you were. And so where, where are the poems and where are the songs about Thomas's great declaration of resurrection truth? You know, where, where are the songs that are, that are proclaiming, about him proclaiming Jesus as Lord and as God? Like, why isn't his nickname Prophetic Thomas? You know, the, the one who, who bore witness to the reality of the resurrection. But, it, but it's Jesus' next words that provide so much comfort for me, and I pray they do for you as well, that in verse 29, Jesus told him, you believe me because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. He's saying, Thomas, like, you, you believed because you saw. 
You believe because you, you put your, your fingers right here. You put your hand right here. But blessed are those who believe even though they've not seen, even though they've not had this experience that you just had. And, and oftentimes, like, we've been conditioned to, to view doubt as, as a negative thing. And this would have been, if that was the case, this would have been Jesus' time really to kind of rebuke and correct Thomas. Like, he could have made an example out of him. You know, saying, all right, you, you short-sighted little man. Like, I, I told you for years what was going to happen, and you still didn't believe me. Like, wh what is wrong with you? Like, what you, like I, I laid it out for you. You weak little man. Like, that would have been Jesus' opportunity to let Thomas have it because he had doubts and because he had questions. But that's not what he did. And that should, be, that should bring great comfort to each of us those of us who have struggled with doubts, who have struggled with our own unbelief. That should come as great comfort because Jesus, you know, he, he, he said this as a, as a statement of fact to Thomas. Hey, you believe because you've seen, but then he, he shifts gears, the second part of the statement. If you can put verse 29 back on the screen. In the second part of this verse, he's not talking to Thomas and he's not talking to the other disciples in the room. But Jesus is prophetically talking about you and about me 2,000 years later. We've all, we've all heard that phrase, you know, seeing is believing. But if that were true, the only ones that, 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 that would actually be able to have any shot at this thing called faith would be those ones that were in the room with Jesus right then and there, who physically saw the wounds and the scars that he had. But in this moment, Jesus makes this explicit point to extend to you and to me the chance to see and to experience Jesus as Thomas did. Like, like Jesus, he actually speaks a word of blessing over you and I. In this moment, like Jesus is acknowledging the fact what he's asking us to do right here today is hard. It's difficult. He's saying, no, I get it. It's hard to believe in something that you can't physically see yourself. It's easy to have doubts. It's easy to have questions when you can't verify it on your own. Like for me, I, I've no doubt that Mount Rushmore is there and that there's four presidential faces carved in the side of that mountain in the Black Hills because I've been there. I've physically seen it. I've not just seen pictures. I've, I've been there and, I, and I've seen it. But to explain to someone who's never seen it before, to explain to somebody who's never seen a picture, who's never been to Mount Rushmore before and say, all right, like there, there's four presidential faces carved into the mountain. Like George Washington's nose is 21 feet long. His eyes are 11 feet wide. Like you'd be like, what? <laughs> like, like I, because they have no, they've, they've not seen it. They've not been there. Like it's much easier to believe when you've actually physically seen it yourself. But Jesus says, those of us, millennia later, that if we still put our faith and put our trust in him, that we are blessed, that we are blessed. The Apostle Peter writes something very similar about, and he's writing to those who also did not have the privilege of being able to see Jesus in person. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you love him 
even though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And a few verses later in verse 21, he says, through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. And and there may be some in the room today that, like, for me, when I was a new believer, this kind of, this story was a struggle. You know, like, you you think about the, the resurrection, you think about somebody coming back to life, and you're like, all right, how could that possibly be true? A man is is publicly executed for all to see. He's placed in a tomb. And three days later, he's he's alive, he's walking, he's talking, he's eating and appearing to his followers. And and it's easy to hear a story like that and be like, all right, come on. That's a little much. And I want you to know that Jesus is not intimidated. He's not frightened by your skepticism. Like Jesus is comfortable with your questions just as he was with Thomas's. In fact, I would actually argue that Jesus is probably more understanding of the questions and the doubts and the struggles that, that we might have here today because we've not seen. He had compassion on Thomas, a guy who walked with him and physically saw how much more grace and compassion is he, is he going to show for the questions and the doubts that arise in our minds that we deal with, that we struggle with. Because the great news is, just like he did for Thomas, Jesus will meet us right where we are. Like, we don't have to have it all figured out. Jesus will meet you where you are. We don't have to have all of the answers because Jesus will meet you where you are. We don't have to have a a faith that perfectly believes everything that Scripture says because Jesus will meet you where you are. And you may be far from God. You may like, have no idea. I don't even know what to think about all this kind of stuff. I want you to know that Jesus will meet you where you are. Your questions and your doubts are not a barrier to Jesus coming and meeting you. I love how the author, Steve Bell, he, he talks about his faith journey. And, and when he references Thomas, he doesn't, he doesn't think of Thomas as a doubter. He actually views Thomas as kind of a, a kindred spirit. And he writes, in our understandable doubts, you don't hear Jesus' rebuke, but you hear his blessing. And, and blessing, blessing is, is, a, is speaking goodness and faith and life and promise into the life of somebody else. Like as, as parents, when we speak blessings over our kids, it's not because they've got it all figured out and they're all good right now. Like we bless our kids because we desire good things to come to fruition in their lives. Not because it's manifested yet, but we want to see it someday. And that same is true with Jesus. When, when he speaks that blessing over you, when he says, you are blessed, because even though you've not seen me, you've still believed when he speaks that blessing over those who struggle and, and wrestle with faith and with doubts, he's pronouncing, he's pronouncing his word of blessing over your life and that the, the seeds of faith planted, that they're going to germinate and they're going to grow someday. Maybe not in this moment, but they will. And Bell continues on. He says, Jesus has blessed you with the tiniest seed of faith in the state that you find yourself right now. Not because it has grown, but so that it may yet grow. 
And I love, I love it. It's such a beautiful sentiment. And so this Easter, on this Resurrection Sunday, would you allow me to speak a blessing over you? Allow me to, to, to speak this blessing over you using Thomas as our example. And so I want you just to receive this right now. May you be blessed with the courage to speak out your questions and to say, I don't know the way. Jesus will meet you there. May, may you be known as the master of the awkward question. As you speak the words others dare not say, the Spirit will guide you into truth. May you have the sense to put your finger on the nub of things, knowing that we cannot love something only with our minds, but we also must love it with our hearts and with our whole selves. May you know the blessing of seeing and believing, but may you also know the blessing of believing without seeing, that faith meets us there. And may you know the blessing of questions and the challenge of understandable doubts, that in these places and spaces of doubt and question, may you know the blessing of the one who loves you and gave up his life, that you might know him. And so I want, I want to close this morning just by extending an invitation, extending Jesus' invitation to anybody in, in the room here today that no matter where you are, that Jesus is asking you to come. He's asking you just to, to follow him. He's not asking you to have perfect faith. He's not asking you to have all the answers. And so maybe, maybe for you right now, like you, maybe you've been walking with with Jesus for, for decades, and you've seen his goodness and his faithfulness in your life. Or, or maybe for you, you came to faith as a child, and somewhere along the way, you ended up walking away yourself. Perhaps maybe your doubts became too much. The questions you had became too much, and you stepped away from God. You stepped away from, from the church. Or, or maybe for you, like you feel like, all right, I've been really far from God, but it's Easter. I should probably go to church Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'll meet you here. Or perhaps for you, all this talk of, of resurrection, of, of faith, of Jesus, maybe it's all totally brand new. Like, I want you to know there, there's space, there's room for you in God's family. There's space to ask those questions. There's room to wrestle and to struggle. And Jesus will meet you right where you are. And so I just want to close our message this morning with an invitation that if you've had struggles, if you've had questions, if you've had doubts, if, if you're not sure what to make of all these claims about Jesus and that are in the Bible, I want you to know it's okay to say that. It's okay to be Thomas and speak that honest question. Jesus, I don't know. Jesus, I don't get it. I want to believe, but I'm really struggling with how to do it. I want you to know there's no, there's no shame in that. But I want to pray for you this morning, that wherever you are in your walk and on your journey with God, if maybe if you've not even begun it, maybe you've been in it for a long, long time, Jesus, Jesus is still saying, come, come to me. Bring to me your doubts, your questions, your struggles. Bring to me your fears. Bring to me your unbelief. And just be with me.
experience me. See me. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I, I thank you, God, so very much that you are an amazing God. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you, the way that you love us, the way that you don't push us away, that, that in our finite minds, Lord, that, that you recognize and you know that we, we do have struggles, we have questions, we do have doubts. And yet even in those moments, Father, that you welcome us, that you come to us, that you appear, that you meet us right where we are, and so, Lord, for those that, that are here today and, and maybe, they've, maybe they've never encountered you, maybe they, all of this is just is brand new. God, I pray that, that, that you would just accept us, you would, that we would come to that place of, of finding our, 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 our hope in you, just as Peter talked about, that our hope is in you, our living hope. God, that we, we confess our, our weakness, we confess our sin, we confess our, our, our misunderstandings, we confess our doubts to you, and we just come to you, Lord, as we are, broken, maybe confused. Jesus, we know that you welcome us in, that you say, hey, come, feel these scars, feel these holes, be with me, experience me. You don't push us away in our doubts. But God, you welcome us in. And Lord, I just pray for everybody in this room here today. And wherever they are, Lord, whatever their questions are, God, that we would experience you in the middle of it. God, we thank you so much for what you did, what you accomplished on the cross. That we are here today because of you. And God, I pray that you would help us to know you more and deeper and more intimate than we ever have before. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are gonna we're gonna take communion here in just a moment. And if you um, are, are new here, if you if you're here with us for the first time, we practice an open communion here at Living Stones, which which means you don't have to be a, a member of our church to to come be a part of communion, because in the same way that Jesus welcomes all of us, regardless of where we are, regardless of our our background, regardless of the questions we have in our life. He welcomes us to this table as well. And so as, as we take communion, I want to just think about it. I want to go back and just think for a moment on those two scriptures I shared at the very beginning of service, where Paul writes that if Christ had not been raised, then our faith is useless and we're still guilty of our sins. But what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, where he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That that's what we celebrate. That's what we have here today. A new hope. A new hope. Because of what Jesus accomplished. That his body was broken, his blood was spilled so that we could come in all of our frailty and all of our mess, we could come to him. And he welcomes us with open arms. So I'm going to pray. Our ushers are going to come forward. They're going to set out our communion elements. And as we sing this last song, I invite you to come forward and just reflect on that. Reflect on God's amazing love for you and for I. Lord, thank you again for who you are. Thank you for your immense blessing in our life. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for what you accomplished on the cross. There's no way we could do it on our own. But God, you made a way for us when we had no way on our own. So, Lord, we love you. We honor you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.